0: I'm so sorry. Before everyone gets seated, can we please stand right back up to our feet for our reading from the scriptures? I always do that. I fake you guys out, and that's not fair. <laughs> awesome. Uh, wonderful. And please feel free, after the gathering, it's not like there's like, hey, you have four minutes to socialize, and that is it. No, please, <laughs> feel free. Hang out after the gathering. We'd love to get to know more of who you are and your story and all of that. Um, but this time is marked out for learning the way of Jesus. We do that, of course, by studying scripture. Um, We are almost done. This is one of the final sections of our letter to the Galatians. It's been a minute, been about six months, but here we go. Um, Here it is. Father, we just thank you for how you lead us as your people, and we want to be transformed by the scripture. We want to walk out of here transformed by you. So do what you do here, which is to captivate our hearts and inspire us with your way of life and um lord we pray that you would just enable and empower me as your mouthpiece here right now to just say exactly what you have to say to this community nothing less nothing more just would you be glorified and lifted up here right now amen Amen. nevertheless the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. Like I said, um, this is one of the final sections to the letter to the Galatians. Uh, We have two more weeks here. Uh, before we launch into our fall's Vision series, which no spoilers, but that's going to rock your world. It's going to be a great series as well. But let's, uh, let's, let's, let's reflect a bit on Galatians. I, I think that Galatians has changed the way that we see each other. The way we, we relate together as sister and brother. The essential message is that if Jesus is king, and if he's died and risen again to forgive sin, uh, to welcome you into the family, to claim victory over the kingdom of darkness and to make you part of his divine family, then, if that is true, then he is preeminent over any other thing that we may differ or disagree on. He is primary and everything else is secondary. Meaning, if he says that the cross means that we're family, and of course he does, he says that, but our culture tells you that because we have like competing political ideology or whatever, that we're enemies or some version of that, he's right and not your Twitter feed, right? Like he's the one who's right. And it's about more than being right, of course. It's about our core identity and it's about who we're hoping in. Are we defining ourselves based on the stories that we've believed from our culture Or are we living into the way of Jesus and how he has radically redrawn the lines of family loyalty, right? So, of course, um, we care about things like the midterm elections in America and current events and everything. We care about all of those things, and we're free to disagree about our differing priorities. But ultimately, we all hope in the exact same thing. We hope in the return of Jesus. That's what we're taught to hope in from the scriptures. And it's at the return of Jesus where the scripture says he will be enthroned, Jesus will, and he'll be worshiped by his united, resurrected, and multi-ethnic family. That is where the story is going. And if that is the glorious conclusion to this story that is unfolding in the age of the church right now in 2022, Bent, Oregon, according to the logic of Galatians, that those who are mature in love and those who are paying attention, we will forge that sort of diverse, loyal family and community today. Not because it's easy and cute or because it gives us all the feel-good vibes or whatever, although it probably does at least some of that, but because it images and celebrates what King Jesus says our hopeful future will be. Are you with me on that? We're imaging and celebrating what Jesus says the future is. Like one scholar put it, we are the people of the future in the present. We have like a prophetic imagination about what Jesus said is coming at the end of this age. He is enthroned as king and everyone is following after him and worshiping him and giving him praise. It's not uh, a bunch of fractured families. It is one family that is worshiping after Jesus. A while ago, I, um, by the way, first of all, if that sounds like Highbrow or idealistic, which I understand maybe some of that does, but the the book of Galatians or the letter to the Galatians is highly practical as well. And that's particularly these last couple of sections that we're going through now. He's giving us a practical strategy for unity. It's totally possible, he says, for us to be united as one family when we walk by the Spirit or walk in step with the Spirit. We Grow the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes we call them the character traits of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we we walk by the Spirit, we embody these traits and it unites us. These are all things that help forge our unity. Now, um, a little bit about how this strategy works. I, I introduced you to this diagram a couple of weeks ago. Actually, this is probably almost seven weeks ago now. And by the way, when I introduced this concept to you guys after the gathering, uh, Karina Bond, one of my friends, she was like, hey, here's some feedback. And she gave me some good feedback, so I fixed it, right? So version one was okay. This version's great, okay? So follow along with me here. So in other words, this is the the strategy for unity in the church laid out by the Spirit and the letter to the Galatians. On the left-hand side, you have you, who's a Jesus follower, you're a lovely person, and we're glad you're here. On the right-hand side of the triangle, you have me, who's far from perfection, but definitely saved by God's grace. And in between the two of us, we have our differences, maybe our conflicting ideologies or opinions or theology or whatever, right? We have these sort of differences, whatever they are. Now, our job, according to Galatians, is not to, like, persuade each other to think like we think and to figure it all out. Our job is to... Walk in step with the Spirit. And as we walk in step with the Spirit, we are being led by him towards Jesus. We are oriented towards and moving towards the same exact goal, which is, of course, to be like Jesus, to become like him. So when we adopt his lifestyle, we possess his character traits, we love what he loves, etc. And as a byproduct of that journey, we all get closer together. And of course, we're still going to be different in almost every way, personality, cultural heritage, Enneagram type, if you like. Also, many other things. But we'll be aligned in in who we love and what we're about as a people. We love King Jesus. We're seeking his kingdom. We love his family. This is how we are to be reoriented. By the way, that strategy, it works. It works in marriage. It works in life. And it works in the church. In fact, I think we can always, like, when we're looking at a a community of people, a family of believers, and the church at large, when our family bonds are frail and weak, I think it can be pointed back to it's likely we are just out of step with the Spirit. And we're overemphasizing something that's not Jesus. And I think over the last couple of years, we've seen that played out in real time. And right now, it's, it's our turn to... It's to get back to it. To get back to what Jesus has said is primary and let the secondary things be secondary. Are you with me so far? By the way, whatever the case, wherever you've been, um, you know, maybe, maybe you have been Contributing to the uh, disunity and the factions in the church or whatever, it's possible we've all had a role to play in that. And the point of this series has not been to criticize or to bring shame or judgment on anyone. It's actually to wake up to the reality that if we've played a role in sort of the breaking up or the frail bonds that we share in Christianity, okay, now it's perfect time for us to repent from that, turn from that, and move towards the way of God's grace. Amen? So for some of you, um, this is like the 10th reminder, walk in step with the Spirit. And I'm kind of sorry, but not really. And the reason why is because um, it's very possible and sometimes, sometimes really common that we know the strategy, we even like say we believe it, memorize the scripture or whatever, but we don't actually live out the strategy. Right and these reminders—they're helpful for us. We need them. I need them. You need them. They help us consider the areas of our life that we need to reevaluate and give in surrender to Him. And um, so, this this concept or this principle that we just showed you and we've been teaching about at length over the last six weeks—walk in step with the Spirit—is a central and fundamental piece of. God's strategy for unity in the church, and we cannot achieve it unless we are first committed to this charge and this thing that God has given us, walk in step with the Spirit. So we need to hold on to that front of mind as we go through the rest of this letter. With me? Tracking? Sweet. Okay. Now we're ready for chapter 6, verse 6. Now, um, Fair warning, like this in in one sense might seem like a divergence, like this topic is a little bit off of the rest of what Paul has been teaching us, but I promise you it tracks and I intend to show you how it actually works. So here's chapter six, verse six, says this, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Okay. Like, this is a pastor's tightrope conversation. Like, look at what we just read, right? Right? Like, this is a higher wire act. There's no margin for error for me. Like you could be watching me blow up my career if I do this wrong. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. But if you're new or visiting, I promise. I didn't just like pick this verse out of nowhere. We've been going line by line through Galatians. Like this is what we've all been about. This verse just happens to talk about honoring the instructors, the the faithful Bible teachers in in the crew. Um, So I was, no joke, I was getting ready for this message this week and uh, I was researching things as I often do. And then Somewhat coincidentally, I'm not sure, this article popped up into my feed, which I thought was hilarious. A preacher scolded his flock for not honoring him with a luxury watch. (laughs) That is such a sad headline, and I had a good life. By the way, of all weeks for that to pop up into my newsfeed, this week of all weeks, that was either the Holy Spirit or that was the Google algorithm that knows what I've been researching. I'm not sure which. Uh joking aside, though, we've all heard these stories, right? These horror stories about people getting rich in the nonprofit world or um, pastors who have greedy motives, suspect motives. There's tons of bad theology about money out there. And I have no idea the situation of that pastor who was uh, probably just feeling very underappreciated and handled it really poorly or whatever for the record, we feel nothing of that here at Riverbend. We feel so loved and cared for and supported by you. My family has everything that we need and probably more. God has taken care of us, and that's largely because of you guys and you, you care for us. And so we, we felt very honored. So we're great. So don't hear any of this from the lens of like, oh, Andrew's got a subliminal message for us all. No, that's not, that's not it, Okay. That said, here's what the scripture is teaching. And it's important we, we, we note this and we, we, we understand this too. We, we seek to understand God in, every time we learn the scriptures. And there's no exception here. Wise, clear Bible teaching is essential. And particularly in a world that's largely forgotten or grown cynical about God's word. And today, like in Paul's situation in Galatia, where people have misused and abused and misunderstood the scripture... Like, now more than ever, we need competent, we need accurate Bible teaching. One of my favorite all-time verses, you guys probably know this one well and will agree. Proverbs 3, verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom. Blessed are those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She's more precious than rubies, and nothing that you desire can compare with her. Isn't that such a good word? Do you feel that way? Like, do you, can you genuinely say that about yourself and about your life, that you value the wisdom that comes from God above anything else that you might be able to lay your hands on? Amen. Right, that's the word. You're like, I'm in on that. There's nothing more valuable to me than God's wisdom. I treasure it more than my possessions. If I had to trade it all in, like the equity in my house that I've worked so hard to build for the fear of the Lord, like in a heartbeat, I want God's wisdom. Jesus' ethics from the Sermon on the Mount for my stock portfolio. No contest. One is highly to be prized, and the other one is just fleeting riches. Nothing in life compares to the value of wisdom. Truly, you cannot overvalue it. That is what the message of Scripture is trying to teach us. By contrast, we've seen all of these really tragic stories from our culture of people who on paper are extremely wealthy but are terribly poor in life. They're chasing after happiness through possessions, luxury experiences, and whatever else, and it leaves them with no lasting joy or peace, and it's tragic to see, to which Jesus would say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? He also says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. This is one of my favorite parables for all kinds of reasons. I wish we had more time, but we don't. Why does he have joy? Why does he sell everything and buy the field? Because he's convinced that the treasure that's there is to be highly prized. It's incredibly valuable. So let's do a little thought experiment. If you were convinced that in your backyard right now was an amount of gold somewhere buried in your backyard that was highly valuable, what would you be doing right now? You'd be digging, all right? You, like, even if all you had was like a plastic spoon and no tools or whatever, you'd be out there on your hands and knees. You'd be like trying to find that, and for good reason, because gold has incredible value, right? The lesson that is implied here through this, uh, this parable is to, to seek him, to seek his kingdom with that same sense of urgency and that same commitment and that same pursuit, of like wisdom in that exact same way because you'll get a better return, the scripture says. And, and I don't think that's metaphor, I think that's real. Like, you're gonna get a better return in this life and in the one to come if you value wisdom over what you might be able to find in your backyard with a, uh, with a plastic spoon or whatever, I don't know. Okay, my metaphor broke down a little bit, all right? <laughs> Give me a break. So, the, so if you're tracking, the logic goes like this um, in Galatians 6.6. 6. If that's true, if God's wisdom is to be prized above any and everything else, particularly possessions, for the person or for the people in the church family who've given their lives and service to the study, the teaching, and to the sort of training of others in God's word, and they do that work faithfully, just make sure that their material needs are met. Make sure that they have what they need. They're not like... Figuring out real estate or cryptocurrency. Like, that's not what they're doing with their life. They're, they're doing other things. So because of they're, they're, they're devoting themselves to the, to the instruction, the learning, to the teaching of God's word. So because that's the case, then, like, take care of their material needs. The, Paul tells the church at Corinth, like, hey, if we have sown a spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material reward from you? Right? right? He's, he's saying, And if there is a problem with that, then you're probably undervaluing God's wisdom. And you're not, and you're valuing your money and your possessions too much, right? Again, remember my disclaimer, you guys are taking great care of us. We are so supported by you guys, and so we feel very, very loved. This is an important theme that's taught all throughout the library of Scripture. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, for example, says the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching, right? So you have a team of leaders here, elders who... Are worthy of honor they've done well in guiding you in the truth of the scripture sometimes that's hard laborious work also um first thessalonians 5 12 and 13 says now we ask you brothers and sisters to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the lord and who admonish you hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work come on it's good right the reality is there's by the way there's many other verses that we could talk about The reality is um, that there are some in the church who have been faithful in studying and learning the scriptures in such a way that they um, are able to unfold for you God's wisdom and they're worthy of honor in the community. Uh, Notice Galatians doesn't say, hey, this is payment for services rendered. Like that message was $50. You're like, Dude, I wouldn't pay 10. Like, that was a matinee price at best, right? Now, he's not saying, it's not payment for services rendered. Like, that's not what this is. He's saying, share all good things with them. It's mutual support. That's the idea. See, the Bible teacher's needs are met when you care for them. But you benefit, of course, from the word of God. And you also, I believe, get to share in the fruit of the ministry. Jesus, again, in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, and I think that this directly applies here in this case, that we are rewarded and better off for the ways that we've invested our material things, time, energy, talent, uh, money, things like this. Like when we invest them in the things of the kingdom, like this is all your ministry too right? Like, when people trust in Jesus, when people follow after him, when people are changed by the gospel, as they often are, both here and at other churches around our great city, like, this is, you get, you're a part of it, and you get to, like, this is a part of uh, your reward as well. So, so much more that we could say about this, Um, but I think it's really important, like, I want to give you a couple really quick things before we move on to the next section, because, like I said, particularly in a time like the one that we're in, not all Bible teaching is like equal, right? And there's not, there is a lot of probably poor Bible teaching that's out there that isn't worthy of honor. And that's one of the reasons why I'm convinced Paul is saying, make sure you highly value the ones who lead you in the word well. So I just want to give you a couple of things as you listen to podcasts and maybe you're just passing through town and you're, you're, uh, you're, you're not, not a part of this community or whatever, and you're still kind of looking. I think, I think it's important, you know, a couple of things. What... Uh, I value in a, in a Bible teacher, I think we should collectively, as a community, value in a Bible teacher. First and foremost, well, maybe not foremost, this is going to be kind of just like a quick hit, but um, you're not looking for someone who is primarily considered uh, like an entertainer. They're not like trying to entertain you, right? I think that Bible teaching should be very enjoyable, captivating, inspiring, um, but I don't think... Bible teachers who are really worth their salt are actually like trying to compete with your favorite TikTok account or like the Marvel franchise or something like that, right? It's just not the objective, right? It's like, yes, you should enjoy it. Obviously, I make a few lame jokes every sermon and my hope is that you enjoy that and everything, but the reality is like entertainment is not the point here. You're not looking for that in a Bible teacher. Also, I think that good Bible teachers are not overly concerned about what you want to hear, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm I'm saying that like, I think Bible teachers need to be emotionally intelligent and they're not like disagreeable people by nature, but God's wisdom is often, and I mean often upstream to culture. For example, enemy love and things like this, right? So you need a Bible teacher. You want one who's secure enough to say the hard things well, even if that's unpopular. Second Timothy chapter four, I think is a good example of like some instruction around that. I think Bible teachers also need to be avid students. You're going to be a lifelong student of the Bible. Like if you're going to be an, uh, like, a, like a qualified and competent Bible teacher, it means you're a lifelong learner. It also means you're filled with integrity. You're not saying one thing and teaching another, right? Um, that's not real wisdom. James says, don't many of yourselves consider yourselves to be teachers because you're held to a stricter judgment. See, knowledge and practice are not the exact same thing and you want a Bible teacher who actually lives their message and and, and, and is fully bought into the way of Jesus. They're also humble. The scripture brings humility. It just does. Jesus was humble, and this is what you want from your leaders as well. All of the people that I respect when it comes to their teaching and their, the, 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 the authors that I read, the professors that I highly admire, these are humble people, women and men who are humble. Um, I think actually the reverse is a warning to us. Like overconfidence is normally a problem. Pride is a problem when it comes to a Bible teacher. It usually means they're unstudied. Uh, not studied. Because the vastness of God's word is like the universe. Like imagine if I said to you, I'm an expert in space. You'd be like, What part? Like As soon as you find out something about the universe, it opens up a whole new facet of understanding that was previously undiscovered. And that's what the word of God is like. There's a lot that we can be certain about. There's plenty that we can explore and have confidence in. But none of us, and I mean none of us, have even come close to exhausting it. So overconfidence is a bad sign. What you look for is humility. People who are convinced of their orthodox faith, of course, and are highly committed to the... Uh, interpretation of the scripture but they are humble about what they do not know and finally for today there's many much more we could say but I also believe that the the real measure of of a competent bible teacher is someone who loves well the proof of understanding in the way of the kingdom is genuine love love for God and love for people Phil you always tell me preach the word, and love the people. Like That is like a universal, I think, principle for people who lead. If you want to know more about like qualifications for a Bible teacher and the things that we take very seriously here at Riverbend, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 2, all give, I think, good uh, outlines for that. But all that to say, good Bible instruction is essential, and it's so valuable for life. I would never consider going through life without having wise inputs on the scripture. And we just, quite frankly, need them. So, um, and again, I think this is why our church has, has done a, a good job, I think. Um, there's a lot we can grow in, but I think our church has done a good job in freeing up our teachers to uh, really give the Word of God our full energy. Okay, so what do you guys think? Did I survive the high wire act? <laughs> like, I haven't, lost, uh, yeah, I haven't lost credibility or my job? Sweet. All right, awesome. Greg's in the back. He's an elder. He might decide differently, but... Earlier, earlier I said that this is all connected to the larger message of the letter as a whole, and I think that's true in at least a couple ways. Number one, the whole reason why Paul is writing in the first place is because wrong-headed leaders had infiltrated the church and had misused the scripture and had deceived the church, right? So they're misusing the scriptures, and already the, the life of the church was hanging in the balance. So Paul's saying, listen, you guys have been misled. You need to properly value wisdom from your faithful teachers and you need to honor their voice you know over the years i've grown immensely from my my bible teachers of course i've had professors going to seminary and bible college and all of that i've also sat under some phenomenal teaching from pastors i still listen to a lot of uh, what i would consider to be really great podcasts i read a lot of books And um, I also am able to observe the life of some of my mentors. All of these things are phenomenal things. And I genuinely, I think I can say this with complete sincerity, that I wouldn't trade what I've gained from those competent, amazing, faithful leaders for any amount of possession or wealth. Like, I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts that that is more valuable to me than anything that money could buy, right? It's treasure worthy of being prized. So this is what we're after as a community of Jesus followers. Not that any of us have arrived, but that we're all learning in the way of Jesus. Second, uh, we need to keep reading. So verses 7 and 8 kind of detail out, I think, why this is is here and why this is an important part of our going forward together. Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. (laughs) This is a good word. Okay. Again, think of it in context. This was a real issue. People were being deceived by false teaching. And of course, uh, the one that I think is still relevant for us today that was going on in the Galatian church was this this, um, attitude from some of the misguided leaders who were saying that um that in order to belong in the family of God you need to follow Jewish tradition you need to kind of get on board with our culture if you want to belong in the family of God and until you do we don't really want to sit with you we don't really want to include you as a part of our family we don't consider ourselves devoted to you until you kind of check our boxes of our ethnic culture and And this is exactly what's happening in Galatians. I think versions of this are happening in the church today. And Paul is setting those records straight with no uncertain terms. We are not permitted by God in his grace to do that because of his love, because of who Jesus is. We are all one in Christ, Jew, Gentile male female slave free we are different but we are all universally and equally beloved and incorporated into his body regardless of who we are if we call on jesus we are a part of his family we don't have to conform to secondary ideas and ideologies and virtues and values and things like this in order to belong in the family paul saying you cannot do this and by the way that message again is for us too None of our preferences, no matter how vital or, or important or relevant they are, none of them trump Jesus' charge to devote ourselves to family love. That is priority one in the church. And that's the whole series has been aimed at that direction. Paul's saying, you reap what you sow. Like, like, that deception has been very damaging. Remember, he's talking to a community that's on the brink of probably not surviving until Paul sets the record straight here. So he's, he's saying you reap what you sow, your, your beliefs, your behaviors, your habits, these things that you've been internalizing and then acting on, this lifestyle, they have consequences. And of course he's referring to uh, bad consequences, but it's but possible also for our uh, actions or uh, the things that we sow to have good consequences as well. I think it's funny, in our culture, uh, we have a hard time accepting, we try and pretend like cause and effect doesn't apply to our choices, but the reality is, is if I text and drive, if I drive distracted, I'm going to wind up getting a ticket, getting in an accident or worse, right? If I eat ice cream tonight, it will taste amazing. But in the morning I'll feel like garbage, right? And if I do that consistently, I'll be overweight and have all kinds of different health challenges, right? So it's just the reality that, that our choices have real world consequences and by the way, I love ice cream, and it's not a sin to have ice cream. But I I think it's a good example. You reap what you sow. And of course, this is a uh, a prevailing theme throughout Scripture. I just want to show you one example from Proverbs 24. It It says this, If you say, but we knew nothing about this, essentially trying to claim innocence when you're actually guilty, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your own life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Yeah, this is a pretty sober warning when you think about it, and um, I don't know how this is all, how you're experiencing this verse, or even this whole message, I'm not quite sure, but it's a sober warning. You know, sometimes I think we read passages like these, like, like as though God is being like harsh with us, like you better not do that thing that God hates and doesn't like, and maybe that is one angle, and certainly God absolutely, and without a shadow of a doubt, has a moral code, but he's warning us out of his love for us, and because if we don't live into the code that he has for us, the way of life, it leads to destruction. It's harmful to you, and it's harmful to your relationships. Galatians says, if I sow to the flesh, then I'll reap destruction. If I'm impatient, if I have, it's not metaphor. It's like very like concrete, right? If I'm impatient, if I have an outburst of anger, if I lie, or whatever, break God's code in one form or another, my return will be hurt, distrust, broken relationships. It's harmful. It reaps destruction. And God is warning us not necessarily to be harsh, although there are times where those instructions sound that way. But he's warning to spare me from destroying things. And if you're a parent or you've been parented, Well, you know exactly what this is about. This is what loving parents do all the time. Uh, For example, a couple of weeks ago, my family and I were camping out in Eastern Oregon, which was a blast, it was incredible. Thank you, Malia, for the recommendation. Um, This is really cool out of the way spot that um, was very, like all the places here, you know how it's just totally overrun with people and campers and everything? It's a quiet spot and it's beautiful. Uh, It's called Anthony Lakes. I'm not like holding out on you. It's called Anthony Lakes and it's a great spot. Anyways, we were camping as a family and we got to our campsite. The first thing that we noticed was that around our campsite, there was this really steep hill and then a sharp turn around you know the loop that they have at the campsites? So there's a steep hill and then a really sharp left-hand turn at the bottom of that hill. And my son Judah, who's four, is like just learning how to ride his bike. He's getting pretty good, but he's not that good. Like he couldn't handle that kind of terrain and stuff like that. So the first thing I said is: okay, buddy, here's your helmet, here's your bike, here's your pads. Have fun, enjoy, we're gonna bike, but don't go down that hill because you're getting awesome, but you're not quite there. I don't think you're quite ready to go down this hill. You might get hurt. And sure enough, within an hour, why is it always within an hour, (laughs) right? Forgot the instruction, and sure enough, I hear like crashing and burning and then just all out like fit, just like complete like tears and crying, all that. And sure enough, he didn't just like, tip over and kind of scrape his knee he went like off the road over the handlebars the bike is on top of him and he's just like living his nightmare right and that's that's essentially the idea It's like I, I was warning him because I loved him and I knew that if he went down that path it was likely going to lead to a lot of pain for him turns out I was right and he suffered the consequences. And it was not I, I, I wasn't doing that out of harshness or, or whatever. I was doing it because I wanted to warn him that, that if he went that way, that it would probably lead to destruction. So are you tracking with me? Yes. You, if you, you reap what you sow, if you sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. That's the warning. But it's not just a warning. It's also a promise. The flip side is also true. Right? So we sometimes we, of course, notice that, but we need to notice the positive. If you sow to please the Spirit, which of course is a link back to uh, chapter 5, walk in step with the Spirit, then you will reap eternal life. So again, the purpose of Jesus' teaching is not to scold you or be harsh with you. In the language of John, you alone have the words of life. He wants to bless you, make you whole, and cause you to f- flourish that's probably one of the main purposes of his ethical teachings is to cause you to flourish and to make you whole. And through the scriptures and through his teaching, he's given us this guide to reap eternal life. Psalm 62 is one of my favorites right now. Verse 11 and 12 says this. It's a good one. Are you ready for a good one? Yeah, it's a good one. They're all good, but this one's really good. One thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. Power belongs to you, God. And with you, Lord, is unfailing love. You reward everyone according to what they've done. Such an important thing for us to internalize, to let that sink in. You reap what you sow. Yes, that can be a warning. It's also a promise. I remember um, just this last week, actually, a, a couple of my sweet aunt's, Um, my mom's sisters, were in town. And I hadn't seen them since before the pandemic. And sadly, during the pandemic, both of them lost their husbands, my uncles, which is really, really sad. They're advanced in age and had ongoing health issues or whatever. But during the pandemic, they both passed away. And because of the pandemic, we weren't able to actually go down there and um, be at the memorials and stuff like that. So this was my first time seeing my sweet aunt's Uh, since they had lost their husbands. And I was asking them all about their lives and how the kids and grandkids, and in some cases, great grandkids were doing. And I was just looking into the eyes of my Aunt Judy, who's this really sweet lady, and she was just beaming with joy and pride over her family, who are all, like, in some way, shape, or form, serving the Lord and walking with Jesus, and she was just so excited. as she was telling me this, I couldn't help but think about my Uncle Roger, who had just passed away, like, less than 18 months ago. And he was this really great man But he was a Korean War veteran, and uh, when he came home from the war, they didn't really know what PTSD was, and he was suffering from all kinds of things, and he wound up drinking himself almost to death. And it was causing all kinds of pain and suffering in his family, obviously, verbal, physical abuse, and horrible things. And it got so bad that my aunt was going to leave him and take the kids away from him and things like that. And right in that moment, essentially the quintessential example of sowing to the flesh and reaping destruction. His life was on the brink of destruction, of never being able to go back, essentially. But right at that time, this is again, actually before I was born, he had an encounter with the Lord. And he had an honest moment he reflected on where his life had been up until that point and what that was resulting in and the consequences of all of his choices. And he knew he needed God to intervene. He knew he needed more than what he could do on his own. He knew he needed God's love and his grace. And so he actually had this beautiful encounter with Jesus and became a Jesus follower, started sowing to the spirit. And so now, like I've only known that Uncle Roger. I never knew the Uncle Roger who was addicted to alcohol and all kinds of horrible things. I only knew the Uncle Roger who's filled with the Spirit of God. I mean this dude was a passionate man of Jesus and he sowed to the Spirit and his kids and his grandkids and his great grandkids loved him so much. And now in his absence he's off and with the Lord in in the new creation and his whole family is reaping eternal life. They're reaping eternal life, not only because of him but certainly because he began to sow to the Spirit instead of the things of the flesh. And it's just possible we might. This might be the moment for us where we need to reevaluate some things, and say, "Man, it, it is time. I have been sowing to the flesh. It might not be something as drastic as my Uncle Roger. Maybe something much kind of many stages or steps back from that. But it's just time for us to evaluate where are we at, and to walk by the Spirit, and to keep in step with the Spirit instead." Um, someone said, "If you want to change what you're reaping, you need to change what you're sowing." This is kind of a cheesy I'll give you that. but it's true, right? It's true. If you want to change what you're reaping, you need to change what you're selling. If you're a farmer, which none of us are, we're all like, I don't know, we design websites and work for tech firms and stuff like that. This has been, right? But if we were a farming community, you would all understand this reference, and the scripture is full with agrarian metaphors. So here we go. Um, if you're a farmer and you want to reap corn, that's the that's the crop that you're growing. If you're planting wheat right you're not putting the right things into the ground in order to get your desired result it's it really is that simple and that is the 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 promise from the scripture and the challenge from galatians is you can't you you've been given everything that you need to reap eternal life i think that's both in the age to come but it also has to do with like a peaceful whole flourishing life in the here and now like you've been given everything you need from the scriptures and in the spirit and through the community of the church like you've been given what you need to reap eternal life like it's for the taking we need to step into that by sowing the things of the spirit and you can like start sowing the things of the spirit right now you you don't have to wait and again Another reason why we need faithful instruction in God's word. We may not always want it. Sometimes we hear things from God's word and it hits us and we're like, ah, that's not what I want to hear. Sometimes we resist. Sometimes we feel like, ah, I've heard all of this before or whatever. But wisdom does not come by accident. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from man. It comes from the heart and the will of God through the scripture and the revelation of his Holy Spirit. Amen? So here's how we conclude. What are we, like, specifically then, what are we supposed to be sowing? If you're sowing to the flesh, and you're like, okay, I don't want that. I want to sow to the Spirit. Well, go back and listen to the last six weeks of teaching. That's one answer. Uh, we need to, um, like, keep, uh, keep in mind, like, all the things that God has already been showing us. So Paul is kind of highlighting back to that. But also, keep reading, because he gives us some really plain and simple Easy to apply instruction right here, right now. Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So imagine you're in Galatia, or maybe you don't really have to imagine because you felt this sort of collective angst in the church that our family bonds are frail and weak. But just imagine a community on the brink of sort of falling apart because of disunity and because of all these other things. And you hear this message from Paul. Walk and step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit and you will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The character traits of Jesus will become the norm for your life. And he says, don't grow weary in doing good That's intentionally fairly general. Because he knows the spirit of God and Paul know that we know what that means. It's the people to your right and left. It's the people in front of you behind you. It's the people that you've maybe broken fellowship with or difficult for you to hang with right now because of one reason or another. We get it. It's like we get it. We are different. This is not always easy. The the option, though, and the instruction is so very simple. Do good to them never grow weary in doing good. There's this beautiful story about this woman named Amy Amy Carmichael. You're familiar with her. She's this wonderful missionary. She's an Irish woman, grew up in Belfast. And the defining moment of her life that she talks about in her uh, autobiography is a moment when she's a teenager after church on a Sunday. Her mom's walking her home in rainy, rainy, rainy Belfast to their home. And on the way, they encounter this elderly woman who's carrying a heavy load of something, the the, the, what I was reading didn't, didn't say what it was. But there's this elderly woman by herself in the rain carrying something way too heavy for her, going in the opposite direction of where Amy and her family needed to go. And her mom said, stop what you're doing. We're going to help this woman and we're going to take her to wherever she needs to go. We're going to ta- do good. We're going to take care of this woman. And teenage Amy Carmichael is going like, this is the worst. She's having this internal dialogue of like, of course, mom will make us do this the right thing or whatever, but it's totally inconvenient. It's not where we're going. I'm wet, I'm cold, I don't like this. But on that journey, she describes a, a life-defining moment where she senses God's spirit speaking to her, this is the stuff in life that truly matters. Giving myself in service to the needy. And so as a result of that, she is, comes alive in this whole new way. I think it's a filling of the Holy Spirit. And she winds up as a missionary to India where she cares for orphans her entire life. And the people who work with her in everything, they describe her as being a person who's filled with like this incredible divine energy, inexhaustible divine energy. And and she relates all of that back to this moment in time where she did the simplest thing, but she expressed kindness and goodness to this elderly woman who needed her. And the reality is, if you're following along in this series, and you also are a student of the scripture, you're well aware, the scripture says, how do we explain Amy's inexhaustible energy to surf? Well, it's not that she has something that you don't. It's not that she has more drive to nasty willpower, whatever. Maybe she is a person with deep resolve. But in all likelihood, it's exactly like the scriptures say. Which is, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. Says the Lord. So she is devoted to sowing the things of the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, and she's reaping eternal life. Don't grow weary in doing good. I understand that verse might hit you like six weeks ago. If you if I was teaching on this verse, I'd probably be like, but I am. I'm weary. <laughs> Um, I don't feel that way today. The reality is, like, you might find yourself in a place of weariness. The, the job isn't to, like, slap yourself awake and get after it. The reality is to walk in step with the Spirit. Your daily, habitual choices of saying yes to the way of Jesus through prayer, Scripture, community, worship, all of the stuff. So don't grow weary in doing good. And he says, the reward is coming if you don't give up. The reward is coming if you don't give up. I remember um, I had a life-altering experience about 10 years ago where I was in the Dominican Republic and there was a few of us Americans who were there And we were there to do some teaching and to share the gospel and to bring some humanitarian supplies. I think we were bringing like rice and beans and a few food staples to this like really impoverished area of the Dominican Republic. And one of the places we ended up was this um, home for the elderly and the um, disabled. And we're talking like majorly disabled and elderly people. And I remember it so vividly because it was an extremely hot day, it was the Dominican. And um, of course, this is the developing world, so there's no running water anywhere, and there was no electricity, obviously no AC. And we go into this crowded, super small, dilapidated place where about 75 elderly and disabled people are live their days, 24/7, 365. And they told me, like, Andrew, come ready to teach and so I'm there and I'm doing my thing I'm teaching and have an interpreter there and stuff like that but from moment one I was just overwhelmed overstimulated by the heat the smell just the intense need that everybody had it was like well beyond what I had the current capacity at 23 to be able to handle and the thing that changed my life was the woman there was one staff person who ran that entire thing And it was an elderly Catholic nun. She was herself elderly in her 80s at least, I would say. And she was feeding them, cleaning them, administering all their care, and was their primary companion. And if you think that's insane, it's totally insane. And when I say that out loud to you now, I think there's no possible way this woman could actually be standing and continue on for more than a week at a time. At 23 years old, with all the energy I had, I would have flamed out so quickly. The heat alone was knocking me out. But she was radiating with a sense of joy and power and peace that to that point in my life, I had never seen or experienced. And I wish I had more time with her and I wish that I could have asked her all of the questions. But she was not giving up, just doing the simple, good things that she knew she could do to serve and to help these people. And I think I could say this with sincerity, like like in that moment, I would have traded with her. It's not as though she was living this miserable life that one day she'll be rewarded for in the future. No, you could see right then and there She was fully alive and I envied it. I envied her life. And so there's something to be said for us, like heeding the wisdom of scripture. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up. This is what it is to sow the things of the spirit and what you're going to reap is eternal life. I'm sure that woman's with the Lord now, she was in her 80s then, that was at least 10 years ago. And I'm sure she's with the Lord now, and she's reaping that eternal reward in a beautiful way. Um, second, uh, I've, I've been going long. Wow, I've, I've, I'm, I'm over, as usual. <laughs> well, here we go. We're almost done. Yeah, I always have that res- revelation, and you guys are like, no, we, we,
1: we know. Like,
0: we know. <laughs> I love it. Uh, verse 10 says to make the most of your opportunities. Make the most of the opportunities. You know, there's a famous message that circulated about 15 years ago on not wasting your life. And I think there's something for that for us because it's very easy for us in this life to be distracted by material things. To be distracted by our life plan and what we'd like to see happen in the next five years or whatever. And most of those things are good things, none of which I'm judging you for, nor should you feel judged for. However, there comes a point when we are not taking full advantage of the opportunities and therefore not getting the return, not reaping the life that God promises us as possible if we make the most of our opportunity. So Ephesians 5 verse 15 says this, be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Like, this is it. Like, you have... Through the teaching of the scripture, the power of the Holy Spirit, the community of believers, we have what we need in order to discern what the will of the Lord is. And I was listening to a podcast recently where there was a uh, a founder of Beyond Meat, I think is the name of the company. And he had a sabbatical. He's an intellectual academic person. Had a sabbatical. And during that sabbatical, he said, what do I want to devote the rest of my life to? And what he said is, I want to find the world's biggest problem and make a contribution towards solving the world's biggest problem." I think that kind of like was like an interesting way of looking at how you spend your days. I would change it and shift it to say, what is your highest kingdom impact? How has God made you? Who are, who are you in relationship with? What are the talents, treasures, the things that you have that you and only you offer? Submitted to the will of God and, and to him. Like, What is that highest kingdom impact? And then leverage everything, every day, every moment, everything that you have, leverage to that end because that's going to give you the greatest reward. So ask yourself that question. What is your highest kingdom impact? Ask your friends, ask your community, pray it out, read the scriptures, seek counsel. What is your highest kingdom impact? And then do not miss out on the opportunity. Days are evil, don't be unwise, be wise. And finally and last, like do good to everyone, especially the family of believers. Again, you are already intuiting what those things are. Doing good to the family of believers. But I think one of the things that we've lost over the years in the contemporary American church is a compelling voice in secular society. And I think the main culprit to that is because we have not been able to love well. And so it's very common at Alpha, for example, to have somebody say, which I've heard this, I don't know how many times now, for somebody to say, yeah, if all of that were true, why don't you guys love like Jesus said that we would? Like, why not? Now, there's all kinds of answers to that question. We do not have time to fully address that here. But there are moments where I go, you're right. I, I actually agree. Like we should be the kinds of people who love well, especially when it's hard. When everyone else stops being able to love, that's when we really begin loving. And so I believe that one of the concrete ways that God may be giving us to reclaim a compelling voice in a secular society where people need Jesus is to do good to one another and to love well and that by nature is very attractional people just want him when they see him in that way thank you for hanging with me and now what we want to do is just move into a time of response and this is This is a moment for us where I just never want these moments to go by us. I'm really... um, I'm really jealous for these moments for you. Like, I want this moment for you. I want you to encounter and experience him. I want you to reflect on what the word of God is saying to you. I want you to... Take full advantage of this opportunity that you have to evaluate your life and the areas you might be sowing to this to the flesh where you need to sow to the spirit like i'm I, I like this moment is like a major highlight of my week right now right right here so i I just would um ask you that 's all I can do just humbly ask and challenge Would you be present in this moment and allow the spirit of God to maybe bring to uh, your consciousness, what he's asking to apply out of this message. So will you please stand with me? And the worship team's going to come. Father, we, we come to you. And we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that when we mess up, you aren't filled with rage for us. But you're actually just compelled by compassion to keep us from destroying life. And it's really, it comes down to your love and your mercy and your compassion and we are just so grateful for that. And now what we wanna do is just make sure that we're not already thinking about the lunch plan, like, oh shoot, are we gonna make the reservation like that we said before the gathering? It's like, fair point, blame me we want to be present in this moment and just invite the Holy Spirit to convict, bring things to mind, and then guide us down the path that leads to life. God, I thank you for your great compassion and your forgiveness. And as we reflect, I just ask that you would gently bring to mind areas of life where you've been sowing the wrong stuff. We've been putting the wrong stuff into the soil of life. God, we can't stand your condemnation. We couldn't do that. That's why you sent Jesus and we don't have to. But gently guide us, God, to the way that leads to life. So just a reflective question for you as we're here in God's presence. God, what do you want me to sow this week? Who is it that you want me to care for? God, what is my highest kingdom impact? Help me to make the most out of every opportunity. God help me to live wise and not foolish. And now I just want to encourage you that if you're feeling weary. You're feeling overtired and you're like, yeah, I know, I've been trying all of what you're saying and I just feel tired. Okay. Just notice that. And now what we want to do is just pray God's divine power and energy over you. This might involve you just kind of Letting go of outcomes or letting go of like about the way you thought things would go. Figuring things out, figuring life out on our own is hard. And it leads to all kinds of but stepping into the flow of your Holy Spirit is freeing and it brings peace. If you feel like you need a moment to give your life to Jesus or just hit reset, you're like, man, I've been off track and distracted. It's so into the flesh. If I describe you in that, I just just take this opportunity to do that. In your heart, before God, before us, just say, I'm ready. I I want to be like that Roger character, Andrew's uncle, who is able to say, like, man, all of my family is walking with you and experiencing life. Though we sometimes get uncomfortable in the quiet. God is not. And he's just guiding us deeper into